Welcome to Bladder Buzz, the podcast where doctors, researchers, and consumers discuss bladder health and function for those with neurogenic bladder. On today's episode, we welcome Dr. Mandy Rounds and Cody Unser to discuss women's health after paralysis. And now, Bladder Buzz. Dr. Mandy Rounds, a research scientist at MedStar National Rehabilitation Hospital and MedStar Health Research Institute. I currently work with people with neurological injuries and diseases such as spinal cord injury, multiple sclerosis, stroke, and spina bifida. When these injuries or diseases occur, it may also impact one's sexual health and function. This podcast will be focused specifically on women's health following paralysis. Joining me today is Cody Unzer, a scion of Indy 500 Racing Greats. She founded the Cody Unzer First Step Foundation at age 12 to raise awareness, foster medical collaboration, and develop quality of life programs for those with transverse myelitis, the autoimmune condition that left her paralyzed on February 5, 1999. She has become a leading advocate for people with disabilities and travels the country delivering keynote speeches, attending medical symposiums, and helping other grassroots organizations with similar missions. She has her master's in public health from the Milken Institute School of Public Health in Washington, D.C. Thanks for joining me today, Cody. Awesome. Thank you, Mandy. I'm, I'm really excited to be here, uh, these kind of podcasts, and anytime I can do awareness is awesome. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. I know when I first approached you about possibly doing a podcast, women's health is something you're very passionate about. So passionate that you wrote an awesome article called Wheelchair Barbie Goes to the Gynecologist. It talks about your perspective of going to the gynecologist as someone that is paralyzed and uses a wheelchair. What was your motivation behind writing this article? So I I became paralyzed at 12 years old and just kind of growing up into my teenage years um, and also into, you know, adulthood and and womanhood, you know, my sort of sexuality and experiences were expanding. And I was able to sort of experience the OBGYN and healthcare system across the country in different cities. Um, I'm from Albuquerque, but I've lived in California. I went to school out there for my undergrad. And then I lived in Houston for a little bit. And then I lived in DC to get my master's in public health. And so throughout all that time, I never had a good OBGYN experience. I ran into all these different barriers from the physical ones to the attitudinal and educational barriers that physicians have. So in the back of my mind, it was always, it was always there that was, it was personally impacting me. And then as I was going to school for my MPH um, at George Washington University, I took a reproductive health policy course. And our final assignment was we had to pick a, a topic and research about it, create policy recommendations around it. So in my mind, I was like, you know what, I, I've been personally dealing with this and I've heard other stories from women, you know, who who are, who lived with paralysis and kind of had that same interaction, same experience, you know, at an OBGYN office. So I was like, I really wonder what, what is the problem? How big of the problem is it? how can we fix it? So I started doing research and mind you, like the research is very limited when it comes to, you know, women with disabilities and their sexual and reproductive health. 
So when I first started out, like it was challenging just to even find data around the issue. But what I did find was astonishing. It really impacted my, my need and my passion and drive to not only take my personal experiences, but also with an academic understanding of where the gaps are and how can we fix it. So as I was doing my research, I, you know, I ran into different uh, agencies that kind of oversee all the OBGYNs in the country. So you have ACOG, which is the American Congress of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And then you have ABOG, which is another agency as well. But I started just, you know, acting as many people within that sort of organization to try to ask questions about, you know, where's the data um, around women with disabilities and their, their sexual and reproductive health. And so wasn't really getting anywhere. I emailed um, one of the really top kind of guys um, within the organization and I never got a response back. So I went ahead and just wrote my policy paper for my class. But what I found was that, you know, women with disabilities are more likely to um, receive, not receive uh, preventative health screens like pap smears, uh, mammographies, just anything around their sexual and reproductive health. You know, there's a huge lag and difference between women with disabilities and women without. And they're just, you know, they're more likely to, you know, end up in the emergency room with either a cancer diagnosis or... You know, we have all the, the, these clinics are here, right? There's a lot of different ways that women can access healthcare, but why are the gaps so visible and so, you know, there? So after writing my policy paper, you know, I really, I was like, I can't just, I can't just, you know, let this be an academic kind of paper. Like there is a huge problem. I have a voice um, and a platform with my foundation and just the work that I had done up until that point. So I decided to write an article. Um, I was, I'm a patient advocate for U.S. News and World Report. So this was an important topic that I wanted people to know that's really affecting a lot of, you know, women with disabilities. And there's around 27 million women in the U.S. with some form of a disability. So this is a population that needs to be taken care of. So I've been really passionate about it. Uh, The article led to what now has become, you know, kind of my grand rounds tour around the country, you know, just really educating and talking and having a discussion with future OBGYNs. I felt like I was really lucky in this position to be able to raise awareness about it. So it's a huge passion of mine, not only personally, but also just being able to help other women with disabilities access the care they need and deserve. Yeah. So let's dive a little deeper into your article. You talk some about the milestone of the Americans with Disabilities Act now celebrating its 30th birthday this year. However, what are the current barriers that you encounter every day that still need to be addressed specifically related to women's health? Right. So I um, and I actually bring this up during my Grand Rounds presentations as well. But I feel like, and I think a lot of women with disabilities today can say this, that we, we sort of sit on, you know, sit in our wheelchairs on the top of giants who have come before us to be able to pass the ADA, pass the legislation that has given us the opportunities to not only access the concrete world around us, but also, you know, employment, housing, being able to have fun and enjoy life, but also healthcare. 
So it's not like, you know, the ADA hasn't done a lot for, you know, people with disabilities in general. It has. And I'm so incredibly thankful for like the, you know, during the disability rights movement, there wasn't access, you know, it was kind of, it's too much money. You're a burden on society. And, you know, a lot of people with disabilities were put into institutions and it's, it's really become a social phenomenon, I think, you know, around thinking about how do we think and consider the disabled body um, in terms of actually contributing to society and being part of, you know, the human race. And uh, so, you know, it's a great legislation, but there are still many challenges. And one is really, you know, the access to healthcare. I know that, you know, there's a lot of, and this is kind of the problem that we're facing today, because there are a lot of, you know, specialized health centers that really focus on, you know, spinal cord injury. So a lot of people get their care, all of it, all their care, you know, once a year or whatever it is at a, you know, rehabilitation center, um, which is great and awesome. The problem with that is, is that a lot of people with disabilities and women too, you know, we, we have become more independent. And any woman with a disability should, no matter where she lives, be able to call any provider, either primary care, OBGYN, uh, no matter, you know, where they live and, you know, make an appointment just like every other woman, you know, without a disability. So, you know, we're talking about a lot of, you know, equity and what's fair, but, you know, not only is it the right thing to do, but, you know, we're all Americans and just trying to live our best lives, but being able to have access to healthcare really determines how we live in every aspect of our life. Um, the other, the other thing too, is that it's really, you know, the Americans with Disabilities Act, there is no sort of enforcement. There is no enforcement team that goes into every restaurant, every, you know, building, every public accommodation and either finds them or, you know, makes holds them accountable. It's really become an issue that a lot of people with disabilities, we have to complain. We have to write, you know, something for, you know, the judiciary committee. Um, so it's, it's really, it's unfortunate that it's come to that. But I think, you know, a lot of people with disabilities have a voice. We can get loud if, you know, if it needs to happen that way, but we just want to live our, our life just like anybody else. And it's going to take, you know, I think a little more of a, a remodel of the legislation to make sure that happens. So according to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, women aged 21 to 29 years old should have a pap smear every three years. But what do you think are some of the factors that hamper women with disabilities from seeking that care? And how do you think we could possibly address it? Right. That's a, that's a great question. So uh, in my sort of personal experiences, and, you know, I think you know, platforms like this, like podcasts and, you know, presentations, I think they're really crucially important because, um, you know, you're able to hear somebody, you're able to hear another woman go through the same experience you're going through. So you don't feel alone in, you know, what you're experiencing. So pap smears are incredibly informative, not only medically, but also just how you're living your life socially and the behaviors you're engaging into. Um, so, you know, the, the barriers that like, uh, that I face and that a lot of other women face are not only the physical ones, um, which are huge. Can I actually get onto the exam table? 
Um, that's the major one that I always talk about um, in, in my presentations is that it's, it's usually really narrow, really high. There's no like safety bars to make sure you don't fall off. And a lot of us, even though, you know, we have a variety of disabilities that have different secondary conditions, we all sort of experience the same sort of fear about getting onto the table. How is that going to happen? You know, I, I can't move my legs, so I don't need the stirrups. So I just hold my legs during an, an exam because they will spasm during an exam. But the, the knowledge and sensitivity of the providers, when I first go into a, an OBGYN appointment, you know, you give as much medical history as possible. And I do remember doing this one time in DC, you know, I explained, you know, I'm paralyzed. The, the doctor could actually see me in the wheelchair that I am paralyzed, but I went through, you know, I have transverse myelitis. I will spasm um, during the exam. So I kind of gave them all the history. And even after that, you know, um, after he put the speculum in, I started spasming and he reached over and said, oh, no, it's okay. Don't be nervous. So he thought my leg shaking meant that I was nervous, even after I explained to him. So it's just there's this huge kind of assumption and, you know, kind of it was like a wall, like he didn't hear me. Uh, he, it would almost like, you know, since I'm paralyzed, you know, maybe he, assume, he thinks that I don't have sex. So maybe his exam shouldn't be that thorough. So it's all these fears that I think prevent women with disabilities to go into an office, right? They're big emotional issues. I mean, this is our body that, you know, providers are touching and examining and it's really, it's an intimate appointment and you want to make it as, as thorough as possible but you also want respect and um, same thing for any other woman, right? So it's, it's an emotional issue and topic for sure. Have you ever been denied a female exam or have you ever felt unsafe that you didn't want to be there? <laughs> That's a great question. And it, you know, it just, it kind of, it really breaks my heart that you have to ask that because nobody should be denied at all um, when it comes to their health care when it comes to their reproductive and um, their sexual health. So I've never, I've never been denied. I've heard of other women with disabilities that they've been absolutely turned away based upon their disability. And I mean, that's medical discrimination. Um, and then that's why we're seeing such gaps and disparities between women with disabilities and women without disabilities. Because once you get turned away, either because it's a physical barrier, you know, they don't have the right equipment in, you know, the office, or you can't even actually get into the office. It really does sort of set you back and say, okay, well, if it's, if it's going to be this way, if it's going to, you know, um, I'm going to run into the same problem over and over again, then maybe I should just not care. And then you end up like with an emergency issue and it's not, you know, we want to have families too. We want to, you know, enjoy our sexual bodies just like everybody else and, and do that safely and make the right decisions. But it's hard to do that when you have a healthcare system that isn't designed for women with disabilities. So kind of, uh, I've never been turned away, but I, I will tell you that when I first moved to DC and when I started going to GW, I was going through a really bad breakup and just kind of, I knew my behaviors were really not good going out too much, drinking too much, having too many sexual partners. And I was just really down and depressed and woke up one day and was like, you know what? This is ridiculous. I'm worth something. A breakup doesn't have to determine the rest of my life. And everybody goes through breakups, right? It's not like 
and you try to manage it. Uh, and my mom was like, Cody, what are you doing? You're in DC. You're supposed to be going to school. And you know, she snapped me out of it, but I went to go make an appointment to go see an OBGYN and I called and I just assumed that they would be accessible. Right. I mean, I was in, you know, our nation's capital city and why wouldn't it be this way? We have the ADA, but when I got there and I, I mean, I did recognize, you know, DC is an older city and it's, it's a big example of the concrete world, how it de really determines where you go at absolutely in every aspect of your life. Um, and so when I got there, I had a park on the street, which was fine. I got my wheelchair to my car and I went around to go try to find where is this clinic? Where is this clinic? And I saw the sign on the wall, but then I noticed stairs down. And then I was looking around for an elevator, couldn't find an elevator. So I called them and said, you know, this is Cody Answer. I'm here, you know, uh, here for my OBGYN appointment. Uh, I am in a wheelchair and I can't seem to find the elevator to get to you guys. And uh, the lady on the phone was like, oh, we don't have an elevator. Um, I'm so sorry. She had to say she, you know, we don't have an elevator. So got off the phone with her and it was just another moment where you feel really kind of defeated. Like you don't count, you don't matter. And here I am trying to make a difference in my life and start taking care, better care of myself. And, and so let that appointment just really, <laughs> okay, fine. If it's, if the opportunity for me to take care of myself is going to be this challenging, why should I care? And a lot of women with disabilities feel that way. It really did affect me, but I, I, I maybe that's a, <laughs> I've been denied access or, you know, denied service in that way, but I had to go home and kind of, I had to start researching. All right. How do I find an OBGYN that's accessible? And you go through, you call like a bunch of people. Like it's, it really just does suck that we have to live our life like this. Yeah. It requires a lot more preparation. It shouldn't, it shouldn't for, you know, a basic need like that. And were they apologetic at all? Or were they just like, yeah, we don't have an elevator. <laughs> no, she was way more straightforward about it. Oh, there wow. was no, you know, sort of sympathy, like, or, you know, uh, Cody, how can we get you down here? You yeah. know, there wasn't even like another option or suggestion. It was really just, you know, point wow. blank. Sorry, we don't have an elevator. It's scary. It really does. I mean, these things really do affect people's lives. So I know you go around the country a lot and you talk to physicians and healthcare providers about your experiences. And what is something that you think they need to learn about women's health and people with disabilities? Yeah, great question. I do have an actual, like, one slide in particular that addresses this question to providers when I, when I speak. And, you know, I say, if there's anything you guys take away from my presentation today, it is that the sexual and reproductive health care of women with disabilities does matter. Just right from the get-go, I mean, it really does matter. But then, you know, like, the thing is, is that, like, I think what has stopped a lot of physicians, why the sensitivity isn't there, the education, is that they don't get any training. In medical school, they don't get any sort of, uh, you know, one size does not fit all. I am paralyzed due to transverse myelitis, but, you know, a lot of other women are either, they have spina bifida, cerebral palsy, there's MS. I mean, there's so many, you know, you can't just put us all in a bucket and treat us the same. And so I definitely do talk about, you know, having no assumptions going into the appointment. 
you know, just because I'm in a wheelchair and half of my body only works normally, um, doesn't mean that I don't have sex. Right. So from the get go, when it comes to an OBGYN, that assumption is huge because then the way they perceive you and treat you and examine you is totally different. So having no preconceived notions, um, and really listening to your patient. I mean, doctors should be doing this anyway <laughs> to every patient they have, but in particular, when it comes to women with disabilities, since we do have a lot more involved with our bodies, you know, bladder and bowel, you know, dysfunction to skin problems, you know, pressure sores, like there's a lot of secondary conditions that we deal with on different levels. So there is a lot more that goes into the appointment and just being able to be open, be sensitive and really listen to your patient, get as much medical history as much as possible. You know, I think is, is those are the three main things to be an awesome rock star provider. <laughs> you really kind of have to leave everything that you have assumed about people with disabilities at the door and really get to know your patient as a person, as somebody that's interested in taking care of themselves. If they, you know, are trying to figure out how to be more sexually involved with their partner, or, you know, if they want to start a family, you know, be open to things and not think, oh, you know, oh, they have a paralyzed body, just, you know, they, they don't have sex. Why should they have kids when they can barely take care of themselves? You know, a lot of women have been sterilized over the years in history, just based on the fact that they are disabled. And so we're, you know, women with disabilities, we're strong, we're resilient. And, you know, I just, there is a way to take care of yourself and really educate your provider in, in a certain way. So it's, it's a lot, <laughs> Mandy, it's a lot. Yeah. And on that point, what, what would you say is your biggest fear if we continue down this road that we're already on? Yeah. I mean, you're going to, so like I said earlier, there's, you know, there's 27, approximately 27 million women with disabilities in the U S and with, you know, people with disabilities in general, that statistic has only gone up. And if we just continue to just do the status quo, right. Bare minimum care, not address the accessibility issues around, you know, actually getting into the clinic uh, is the exam table. Can I actually get on it by myself without any assistance? And, you know, are the providers going to still kind of look at you with, you know, severe anxiety and, and, you know, not even engage with you. You're going to see a lot more women with disabilities end up in emergency rooms, um, not be productive in society because we're not just going to, we just won't give a shit. <laughs> you know, it's hard to, it's hard to take care of yourself when the world around you doesn't do the same and value you as a person and somebody that can contribute to society. It's really the historical perspectives on how we have treated people with disabilities in the past has been creeping up exactly in this way. So it's really, you know, education. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm trying, you know, that's my next mission is kind of instead of, you know, I've gone around the country giving grand rounds to future OBGYNs, but I was thinking, how do I create something that's a little more permanent and more lasting? And it really comes down to, you know, medical students receive zero to, to you know, less than anything around disability education. They don't receive just the basics in medical school. So no matter what concentration they go into, whether it's OBGYN or primary care or even dentistry, you're going to have to have the sort of knowledge around how to treat somebody with a disability. 
So it's, it's all, the problem is only going to get worse. And it's, you know, I'm really hoping that it doesn't, we're trying to reverse the effects of it all. Yeah. And I, I know that you're going to go so far, Cody, with this idea that you're talking about, and I can't wait to see where it goes. Thank you so much for being here for this podcast. It's been so extremely insightful. Do you have any last comments before we end this? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I think, you know, just for a lot of women out there listening with a disability, you know, you do matter. There is a way for you to get the care that you need and deserve. And yes, unfortunately it takes more energy and effort on our part, but we're the ones that are being affected by this. And you really, you know, there's a way that you don't have to demand things, just command it. And, you know, try to make a difference as much as possible, but really just keep rocking it out. I love it. Don't demand command. I love it. I'm going <laughs> to, exactly. we're going to end on that. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Listeners, you probably thought that we ended, but come on, we can't really talk about women's health unless we talk about the sometimes taboo topic, sex, but <laughs> listeners, we're going to keep you hanging. So our next episode is entirely dedicated to talking about sex. So please join Cody and myself, Dr. Mandy rounds in our next episode. Thanks again for joining us. Bladder Buzz is presented by the Rehabilitation Research and Training Center on Neurogenic Lower Urinary Tract Dysfunction. The information presented in this podcast does not express the views of the individual's employer or affiliated institutions. The content is for informational and reference purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, or as the sole source of guidance for decision-making. We advise you to always consult with a physician before making any healthcare decisions or for guidance about a specific medical condition. Thanks for listening. Come back soon.